0: This is Max Reeper, editor of Royals Review. Later on in the show, we'll have Sean Newkirk and Matthew Lamar on to discuss the opening weekend of Royals baseball. But first, I wanted to complete our preview of the Central Division with a look at the Minnesota Twins. And joining us to talk Twins baseball is the site manager for Twinkie Town, uh, T.J. Gorsegner. T.J., thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks
1: for uh, thanks for having me on, Max. I'm uh, I'm a little excited to talk uh, talk about the Twins and the Royals here. We've got uh, we've got a good series upcoming, so I'm excited to. Uh, to see that happening. See where we go.
0: Yeah, I always feel like the Twins and Royals have pretty good matchups, and I, I know there's also pretty good uh, uh, interactions between the fan bases. I, I don't know if it's because uh, you know it's just a straight shot down from I-35, but yeah, I think I always appreciate those Twins Royals series. Uh, you know, the Twins begin this year with a new manager, which is interesting. Uh, I think it was kind of surprised that they fired manager Paul Molitor and replaced him with Rocco Baldelli. Uh, did the surprise? Did the firing come as a surprise to you and the fan base? And what do you kind of expect with Baldelli this year?
1: So the firing of Molitor was maybe a little bit of a surprise, but the writing was on the wall a bit too with a uh, a new front office and Molitor being a holdover from uh, from the Terry Ryan era. Um, a lot of people actually thought the uh, that he would be let go a year earlier, and then he turned around and won Manager of the Year and kind of earned himself that uh, that extra year to see what he could do with the team. Um, And with the disappointment, not that a lot of that was necessarily his fault, but the disappointing season that they had last year, the writing was on the wall a little bit for maybe uh, maybe a manager that a little bit less out of touch, you could say Um, a little bit more in tune with the modern baseball player and some of the technology uh, in modern baseball.
0: You mentioned that the last year was a little bit of a disappointment and you know the, the, the Twins were in the wild card game in 2017. And I think with their young talent, a lot of people expected them to be contenders, uh, at least on the periphery, in 2018. Instead, they go out and win 78 games uh, and that ended up costing Paul Mulder his job. In your opinion, what was kind of the diagnosis on what went wrong in 2018 and what, what were you kind of hoping they would do to address that situation in the offseason?
1: So the biggest thing that went wrong... Um, would have been uh byron buxton and miguel tono um two very different stories but two very similar stories both players were injured and both players were nowhere near their potential let alone what they uh what they were able to do in uh 2017 if those two guys had been able to they've been able to kind of build on 2017 and take a step forward the i mean that's probably six or seven wins right there for the twins let alone uh let alone anything else that could have happened. Um, the pitching, Urban Santana was also injured. Really, injury was the story of the year for the Twins. Um, Santana, of course, he had uh, he had the finger injury, the surgery, and just never came back to be effective. Um, with Buxton, he had several several kind of nagging injuries, never really hit, and they, the the uh, Twins weren't even able to bring him up from uh, from AAA in September. Whether that was due to service time or whether that was due to uh, his performance you could you could easily build a case either way depending on your view of uh, how manipulative you think the front office might have been um and then for Sano um obviously it was a little high profile when it happened but the twins actually ended up demoting him all the way down to uh single a Fort Myers partially partially to get some reps in against lower level competition but more importantly to get him uh in a facility where the team has some of their best nutritionists and their best uh their best support people for him um, being that that's their spring training uh, headquarters. They do have some of the better facilities in the minor leagues there in Fort Myers.
0: Yeah. And Buxton's been really puzzling because he was one of the top prospects in all of baseball and a guy I really liked as a prospect. What's, what's kind of been his issue so far? What, why has he not been able to put it together as a player?
1: So the big thing with Buxton, if you look at his minor league track record, He's one of those guys where the first year he played at a level, he it never really clicked for him. It took him a year or two. Um, and something that uh, that uh, our play-by-play team was actually talking about during the uh, during the game today was uh, just the confidence level for Bucks And it really seems like having that level of confidence that he can do it is something that he needs, um, both on the field where he's one of the most athletic guys you'll ever see play the game of baseball, and he's been making – absolute circus catches for years but also um, also at bat I think it takes him a little time to get comfortable at the plate and get in a rhythm and really kind of uh, kind of learn the level he's at and I think that's what we're seeing uh, this spring and so far this season as opposed to last year and the year before over the last three or four years that he's been in the league he still doesn't really even have a full season's worth of uh, plate appearances yet
0: and to kind of address those kind of disappointing seasons, the Twins went out and got a couple hitters. And I really like what they did this offseason. I felt like they got some really good bargains without having to, to really give up much money or prospects or anything like that. Uh, Their first move was getting uh, selecting C.J. Cron, the slugger, coming off a 30-home run season. Um, they got him off waivers from the Rays. Kind of surprising that he was on waivers in the first place, but it seems like that's kind of the Rays' M.O. at this point. They also signed Nelson Cruz to a one-year $14 million deal. And then later in the offseason got Marvin Gonzalez on a two-year, $21 million deal. They also signed pitchers Blake uh, Parker, who the Royals were said to be interested in, and pitcher Martin Perez to one-year deals. What was kind of your assessment of the Twins' offseason? And then uh, is the fan base generally satisfied with the offseason, or were they hoping the Twins would do more?
1: So overall, I think people were pretty satisfied with the offseason. We checked off most of the big boxes. The one thing that a lot of people wanted to see was another pitcher, be it a starter or, or a reliever. Um, in addition to all of the uh, all the signings you named, the Twins also have Michael Pineda, um, who was with the Yankees a couple years ago, um, and essentially spent last year in the Twins organization rehabbing from Tommy John. Um, so with that being a lost year, even though he's not a new addition, he's a new addition to the roster. Um, so the Twins essentially acquired two new starting pitchers. Which, if you believe that the uh, that the pitching st- or the uh, coaching staff can fix those pitchers, which Again, the numbers are saying that maybe they have, um, so if you believe that those pitchers have been uh, fixed a little bit, they're going to be you know at least a serviceable number three type of starter. The twins might not have the deepest rotation, but they do have uh, you know they've got more more depth on the back end they've got some some guys who could uh, surprise some people and uh, at least be competitive and hang in there in the rotation as far as the bullpen, um, that's where there's a lot of mystery and a lot of people. Really wanted to see uh, Craig Kimbrel go to the Twins just because right now the whole uh, bullpen is a lot of question marks. Blake Parker is obviously an established starter, or excuse me, an established reliever, um, and then Addison Reed, who's starting the year on the injured list, but he's uh, he's a guy who's had a lot of success in the past. Although again, down year last year injuries, um, but outside of those two, there's really not a lot of uh, a lot of pitchers who have much of a name for themselves. We've got uh, we've got a couple guys in uh, Taylor Rogers and in Trevor May who have the potential to become uh, kind of high end bullpen guys, but nobody who's you know known to be there yet. Um, on the position player side of things, I definitely uh, I definitely like the direction the Twins went. Crone um, and Cruz together seemed a little bit puzzling since the uh, Twins do have uh, Tyler Austin as well. Um, and then they uh, they signed your old friend, uh, Lucas Duda, on a uh, minor league deal. So we had a little competition for that first base spot and that uh, that designated hitter um, position. But outside of those two players, the Twins have really prized flexibility on their roster this year. We're going to talk about Williams-Acedillo a little bit um, down the line here. He is one of the most flexible players in baseball. And obviously, Marlon Gonzalez, a um, little bit of a late signing. But he's really made a name for himself in the league by being able to play virtually anywhere on the field. Um, And he was a great kind of insurance piece for the Twins to pick up. uh, With uh, Miguel Sano starting on the injured list, obviously uh, another infielder is definitely a plus. um, As well as having a guy who can play the outfield. Um, Buxton has a bad habit of crashing into walls or uh, otherwise injuring himself. Having a guy who can kind of fill in here, there, everywhere, it gives uh, it gives Baldelli a lot of different uh, moving pieces to uh, to put the best offense out there every single day, while also keeping guys uh, guys fresh and guys well rested.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Astudillo, who I think is kind of the, one of the more interesting personalities in baseball, I guess. Uh, and he's and I think he's a guy that um, fans, if you don't remember him, you know, Google his image and you'll see kind of a, a chubby looking player with long flowing hair. Uh, who doesn't necessarily look like he should be like a really good hitter, but uh, he seems like he makes an amazing amount of contact. Tell us about Astadio and, and what his story is, how the Twins got him, and, and what his role is for the team.
1: Absolutely. So uh, the Twins signed him prior to last season as a minor league free agent. Um, he came over from, uh, gosh, I can't remember where he came over from, um, but he never actually uh, cracked a major league roster. And he's a, he's a catcher by trade. Although his primary tool um, is making contact with the ball, so he, he can frame a pitch reasonably well. He's not going to uh, set the world on fire as a defensive catcher, but he's not going to be, you know, a uh, incredible liability back there on the level of uh, of a John Hicks or a uh, uh, what's that uh, what's that first baseman you guys have the uh, the guy they uh, oh Frank Lindell. Yes, thank you. He's not going to be that level of a catcher necessarily defensively. Um, he'll be a little better than that, but he's not going to be winning a gold glove either. Um, but the, the uh, story with uh, Astudio is that he does not walk. He does not strike out. It, it was his 49th um, plate appearance of the spring before he took a walk this year. He ended up taking two uh, total walks in spring training, and that was actually a lot of walks for him. Um, he also doesn't strike out putting that ball in play virtually virtually every time he stands up to the plate. He's got like a three fifty five uh, batting average last season, obviously in September ball, it's a little bit, a uh, little bit of a small sample and a little bit weaker competition, but it gives you a pretty good, pretty good indication as to what kind of hitter he is. He's hitting three fourteen this spring, although he's had all, of, or excuse me, uh, this season, although he's had all of about three at bat, but the, uh, the principle being he's going to put the ball in play, he's going to run it out, he plays hard. Um he's uh he went first to third on a or excuse me first to home on a double on uh on a in a spring training game there. He also uh you know, infamously, that's the picture you're talking about the flowing hair and the tongue hanging out. Um <laughs> Um that was last September and his infamous quote was I just wanted to show that Chubby guys can run too. And he's actually a deceptively fast uh base runner.
0: Yeah, and he and it's, it's amazing. He was up ninety seven times last September. He walked twice and he struck out three times, which is just really amazing. If if ever there was like a prototypical like Royals uh you know, that's that's like their philosophy whole philosophy right there, is like, don't walk, don't strike out, he would be their perfect kind of player. So I'm I'm really interested in seeing what the Royals broadcasters have to say when the Royals play the Twins and and Astridio comes up this year. Uh, So let's talk about the Twins' starting lineup a little bit. We've talked about some of the players that you expect in the lineup. Um, How do you kind of see them? Uh, I guess we've seen them for a couple games already, but how how do they line up this year going forward?
1: Absolutely. So I think what we've seen the first three games is going to be, that's kind of the A-squad lineup, the lineup we're going to see the most. Um, The only thing that's really been changed out so far has been the catcher, and the Twins do have three on the roster. So they started a different catcher every single day. Um, and right now we're running with five bench players. So there is a little more uh, little more element of trying to just get some uh, get some guys out there on the field. Um, so uh, starting from the top, Max Kepler is going to be the leadoff hitter, at least to start the season. He's not really a prototypical leadoff hitter. He's He's got a little more pop than you usually expect to see, a little lower uh, on-base percentage. So that'll be an interesting little experiment. He's going to be the right fielder. Um Byron Buxton is the guy who I think over the long term if he can keep making contact with baseball he's going to move into that lead off slot. He's fast once he gets on the base he's always a threat to score even uh, even on a double or a single you could see him around the bases if, uh, if an outfielder isn't careful with getting the ball in in a timely manner um, and then you've got Eddie Rosario in left field um, so he's going to bat in the middle of the order He's a guy who we're projecting to do some big things this year. He's uh, he's still maturing a little bit into his prime as well. He's one of those uh, young core play, uh, players that the twins have. Um, but he's going to you know he's going to hit pretty well. He's going to hit a bunch of home runs, probably looking to see 30 of those out of him. Um, and then you've got uh, Jake Cave as the fourth outfielder who emerged as a rookie last year. Um, he's really nothing special as an outfielder. He can play all three positions of, you know, at or slightly above replacement level. And he'll hit some big, majestic home runs. He also does strike out quite a bit. But, again, he's a young player getting some experience. Um, but he was a great fill-in for Byron Buxton uh, in center field last year. Um, moving to the infield, we'll have uh, uh, C.J. Crone, as we mentioned, and then Tyler Austin um, splitting time at first base with uh, – Crone uh, getting more of the reps on on the uh, first base position. Um, Austin being a little bit more of a bench player, and he is out of options right now. And with the Twins carrying a five man bench, he may be the first guy to uh, to kind of feel that squeeze um, unless the Twins are comfortable with uh, having Marvin Gonzalez as their fourth outfielder. Um, second baseman is going to be Jonathan Scope. Um, came over from, uh, from the Brewers, although he spent most of his career with Baltimore, had a really bad uh, 2017 season, but, uh, or excuse me, had a really bad 2018 season, was really good in 2017, um, looking to make a little bit of a rebound, and he's on a, he's on a short-term deal, uh, one year. He's still arbitration eligible, so we could see him for a few more years. He'll be an interesting player to watch, um, and if, you know, if he hits well, for the Twins, he could become a fixture. He could also be a guy who's here for a year and uh, and they decide to move on. Um, the is going to be Ho- uh, Jorge Polanco. He, uh, he just signed a big extension, so he's definitely part of the Twins' future, although the question is going to be if he stays at shortstop or if he eventually moves to second base or to third base, whether uh, due to the fact he's more or less an average fielder or due to the fact that we have... Uh, Couple of really good prospects, especially Royce Lewis uh, coming up in the system behind him, and even Nick Gordon could force him to uh, to move over sooner rather than later. Um, starting the season, our third baseman will, uh, will primarily be Marwin Gonzalez. We've also got uh, we've also got Williams Asdillo, who's played. You may see him there once or twice, um, and then uh, hopefully, you know, knock on wood, um, mid mid April here, uh, Miguel Sano is supposed to be. Getting back into games and then uh, kind of a mid May timeline to get him back in the lineup. And he always swings such a big bat, um, even with his uh, proneness to the strikeout, that he's a huge asset to have. Um, and then we've got uh, A. Ray Adrianza. He's going to be kind of that classic uh, light hitting uh, utility infielder. He can play any of the, uh, you know, uh, second baseman, shortstop, or third base. He can also, in a in an absolute pinch, kind of fill in in the outfield corners as well. Um, he's another guy who's out of options, but he's fairly valuable to the Twins, being um, flexible. So I think he'll stay on the roster a little bit longer than some of the others. Um, and then for catchers, we've got uh, Jason Castro back from injury, um, and he's uh, widely regarded as one of the better uh, pitch framers, one of the better defensive catchers. Although he's going to be uh, He's going to be lucky to hit even uh, even 230 this year, I think. Um, behind him is Mitch Garver, who's the exact opposite story. Uh, Garver put a lot of work in this offseason, off-raining pitches. Um, but he's, he's a little bit of a defensive liability, but he swings a big, big bat. Um, so the two of them will play really well as a uh, tandem, I think. And then, of course, as mentioned, Astadio is also on the roster. Um, He does have uh, He does have some options And being that he's The third catcher He may be the guy Riding the uh, shuttle Back and forth Through Rochester Um, Just uh, It's just based off of You know If the team needs to call up An extra pitcher Who do we send down It may be uh, Maybe a little bit of him This season
0: Yeah it seems like The Twins will definitely Have some bats in the lineup and, And Rosario's interesting I think he's like one of the more underrated players in the league in that and he's certainly not a name or anything but he seems like he puts up pretty good numbers year in and year out um let's let's move to the starting pitching staff uh perhaps um maybe the weakness of the team at least last year they were kind of towards the bottom of the league and at least in the bottom 10 in uh era and fip kind of close to the royals uh how do you see their rotation laying out this year
1: well if uh if this series against Cleveland is any indication, this rotation is going to be unhittable, but I suspect (laughs) that has more to do with Cleveland than us. Um, so Jose, Jose Barrios is a borderline an ace pitcher already. He's got the, uh, potential. He's got the, that kind of inner drive where he really truly could establish himself as an ace pitcher. He's probably the best pitcher we've had since, uh, Johan Santana. And I really suspect that, uh, I suspect the Twins are going to try to lock him up again this off season. Um, he's going to be he's going to be the number one guy. He's the guy the teams are going to have to worry about a little bit. Um, behind him, um, not necessarily number two in the uh, in the way the rotations worked out due to uh, due to a little bout with E. coli this spring, being a little behind, but definitely the second best pitcher the Twins have uh, going into the season is kyle gibson um so gibson's been around for years we used to have a joke about uh whether we were going to get good gibby or bad gibby on any uh any given night he was a very inconsistent pitcher um but from, from the uh all-star break in 2017 all the way through last year um the last year and a half he's been consistently very good something seems to have kind of clicked for him and he's been a consistently you know very good pitcher kind of uh number three, borderline number two on a good team sort of guy. But, uh, um, he's in his final year with the twins. Um, hopefully they look to extend him. He actually, if you pick and choose the stats a little bit, um, going back through, uh, through the second half of last season, he put up better numbers than uh, Dallas Keuchel, which I found very interesting. Uh, uh, there was going around, uh, Twitter, some of those stat comparisons, but he's been a very, uh, very good pitcher that's who uh, that's who you guys will see on Tuesday um Barrio should line up for uh for the second game of that series um, and then the uh the Twins third pitcher is a name you you all probably know pretty well Jake Odorizzi. uh um, yep. over and, yep came over in a trade uh last spring with Tampa Bay um so that uh that trade from the Rays um Odorizzi, Honestly, i think the uh the Rays sold him a little bit low he came off of a rough year and last year wasn't the greatest year uh, but he's been lights out so far uh, against Cleveland again against Cleveland big, uh, big grain of salt with that but he's able to uh, if he's able to kind of keep up that performance he'll be perfectly serviceable in the back end of the rotation then the other two, uh, the other two pitchers in our rotation are both uh, a little bigger question mark um, Michael Pineda very, very good pitcher for the Yankees a couple of years ago. Blew, blew out his elbow in uh, the middle of 2017. Uh, underwent Tommy John surgery. And then uh, last offseason, the, before the 2018 season, the Twins signed him to a uh, two-year deal. Uh, first year was a million dollars, basically just paying him to rehab. He was ready to come back for September and uh, actually injured his knee, I believe it was, um, so he wasn't able to pitch at all last season. He's almost a year and a half removed from the surgery um, from the Tommy John. So he's on a little bit different recovery timeline than most pitchers who do uh, come back. So he could, he could do very well. Um, he threw 40 pitches through four innings and struck out five today. Again, that's against Cleveland. So I can't say that it's necessarily uh, uh, representative of what he'll do against a uh, good offense but it was definitely a great sign to see. Um, And that's going to be the four the Twins run out through about the middle of April here when they'll need a fifth starter. Uh, The number five starter is Martin Perez, or Martin Perez, excuse me, um, who came over from Texas. So last year he threw, I think it was a 657 ERA um, in mixed duty between the rotation and the bullpen. Just wasn't very good. His velocity was hanging down around about 92, 93 on the fastball. Um, but the Twins saw some mechanical things with him that, that they uh, thought they could address. And uh, he's been hitting fastballs up in about 95 to 97. Um, so with that uh, increase in velocity, it remains to be seen exactly what the results will be. He had a good outing uh, four innings again today as well. Um, he started, since he's starting the season in the bullpen, the Twins went with a 4-4 four and four plan uh, for Pineda and Perez today. Um, both pitchers look pretty sharp, so we'll have to wait and see. But I'm actually fairly optimistic about the rotation this year. I don't know that it'll be, um, you know, one of the top five or anything like that. But I think I think the starting rotation for the Twins could easily be in the top half of the league.
0: You mentioned Kyle Gibson, who I think seems like he's done really well against us. The last couple times he's been out there, and he's a he's a Mizzou grad around here close. Close to Kansas City, but uh, is there? I know there's some talk about maybe extending him on a long-term deal, and it seems like long-term deals are all the rage right now. Do you are you optimistic that they can get him uh, committed to Minnesota long-term? So I'm kind of
1: famous around Twinkie Town for being uh, Kyle Gibson's absolute biggest fan. Um, so I've been kind of uh, beating the drum for him for a couple of years now, longer than uh, most people have uh, kind of been paying attention to. Uh, I don't want to say his reinvention of himself, but he learned to. A- Kind of tweaked his arsenal a little bit, and uh, you know has become a much more consistent pitcher. I'm really hoping the Twins get something done with him. Um, there was definitely some extension talk in the early part of spring training, although that did kind of uh, kind of stall out. So, I mean, I think you know from a front office perspective, I can't imagine them going over about 10 to 15 million a year in annual value for him, and that's maybe even a little on the high side, although um again for a pretty decent pitcher that's not a not a bad value um from a player side i could certainly see where he'd be looking at something more you know in the 25-ish range hopefully they can kind of come to a uh, come to an understanding because he's been with the twins for quite of the elder statesman and really uh one of the leaders of the team not just uh because he's the union rep but he's clearly uh one of the guys in the locker room that's always uh willing to speak up and be the voice of the players, So there's a little bit, not just, you know, on the field, but off the field, a little bit of that continuity that I think would be good for the team to uh, to make sure that they have.
0: And you mentioned that the, you know, the Twins did really well this weekend against the Cleveland Indians uh, with a ton of strikeouts and then holding them just a few runs. Of course, the Indians are without Francisco Lindor and Jason Kipnis to begin the year. Is there kind of hope that maybe there's an opening there that the twins can take advantage of. What are the expectations for the twins fan base on what, what the team is capable of this year?
1: They're really all over the place. Um, in general, I'd say people are very cautiously optimistic. Um, the front office has been setting the expectation that this is kind of the last developmental year and the window is going to go wide open uh, next season. So and we've got a lot of the core players are somewhere between about 24 and 27 right now. Um, just kind of starting to reach their reach their prime. I think that will, uh, tell us a lot, um, in terms of how the team is going to do with how some of these core guys, uh, Barrios, Rezar, Kepler, Polanco, and kind of how those guys develop a little bit through the year. If, uh, if all of them start clicking, the twins could easily, um, well, it's an easy division to win. They could easily pull off division win. Cleveland got worse last year, and quite frankly, nobody else is really even trying to win. Um, in terms of the playoffs, we definitely don't have the uh, we don't have the artillery to go up against uh, a New York or a Boston or even a Houston yet. Um, so I think realistically, I could see the Twins uh, sneaking in either as a second wild card or as uh, as the AL Central winner. Um, and probably getting eliminated in the first series they play. I think that's kind of the, uh, that's the high end of realistic. The low end of realistic is probably about a 500 team.
0: You, you kind of mentioned uh, you alluded to Craig Kimbrell earlier and he's still available out there. Um, is there a possibility that ownership could say okay, we, we have an opportunity here and go out and sign Kimbrell or make a big move maybe in July if this team is kind of hanging around and has a chance to win that division?
1: I definitely don't think they're going to do anything in the next couple months. Um, the combination of the fact that uh, we're starting with three of our uh, three of our uh, relievers on the injured list so we've got uh, Addison Reed who again was not good last year although he was fighting for an injury um, but he's a very experienced uh, and for a long time a very good reliever um, so that'll be essentially if he can come back in you know in good form that'll be a big addition midseason already um, and then Matt McGill who was a uh, a little bit of a sneaky good reliever last year uh probably not someone you want closing your highest leverage uh innings out but you know a good innings eater for you um and then uh gabriel moya who is a just an absolute fireballing lefty um really young guy all three of those guys starting on the injured list means we've got some additions some reinforcements coming in um and we've already got uh um, i mentioned taylor rogers who has been very underrated lately um he uh, he pitched lights out in the second half of last year. Um, and then uh, Trevor May, who's uh, finally healthy. Um, and then uh, Trevor Hildenberger as well. Those three guys, I think, are all uh, – the front office is taking a little bit of a wait-and-see approach. If they can all be good, I mean, that's amazing. If two of the three really step up, the Twins bullpen is actually pretty stacked. But if uh, two or three of those guys struggle – Um, They're definitely going to need some reinforcements. And I think a midseason trade, if the twins are hanging around, is very, very possible. Um, Last year at midseason, they loaded the farm system back up, traded a lot of guys for some prospects. So there are some, uh, there are some players who could be moved for uh, some reinforcements on the pitching side come midseason. And I'm fairly sure that if the twins are going to upgrade anywhere, it'll definitely be on the pitching side of things.
0: Well, we'll get our chance to look at the Twins this week when they come into town. They'll be in Kansas City on Tuesday and Wednesday, and of course, we'll have many, many series against them this year. Uh, and I look forward to it. TJ, tell us a little bit about Twinkie Town and and uh, and where we can find you on Twitter.
1: Perfect. So, uh, um, personally, I don't hang out on Twitter too much, but I'm uh, I'm on there as uh, uh, Bad Coffee Twins. That's all one word. <laughs> um, my username back in the old days of. Uh, back in the old days before I switched it over to the real name was, uh, was bad coffee. So I never changed the uh, Twitter handle over. Um, and then, uh, of course you can find me on the, uh, Town account as well. Most of the time, that's just, uh, that's just Town on Twitter. Um, so just like Royals Review, we're part of the SB Nation, uh, network. We try to keep things very, very lighthearted. We have a lot of fun, um, a lot of jokes, a lot of humor. Um, of course, you know, any of, uh, any of your listeners, any of your readers are always welcome to pop in and say hi. We try to have a very welcoming uh, welcoming community, and we've got a really tight-knit group as well, but uh, very open to uh, to new folks coming in.
0: Yeah, I definitely feel like the Minnesota sense of humor is very similar to the Kansas City sense of humor. There's a lot of overlap. I think we both get a lot of Iowa transplants, and so if you go to Twinkie Town, I think you'll see their sense of humor lines up. Perfectly with ours. So, TJ Gorsegner, thanks so much for uh, joining us. We'll have to have you on again sometime when the uh, Royals and Twins are battling it out in the Central Division later this year.
1: That sounds good, Max. Thank you, and uh, nice talking to you.
0: And we're back, and joining me now is podcast co-host Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing tonight?
2: Hi, Max. Uh, good. Well uh, Opening weekend is over, so now it's all uh, downhill from here.
0: <laughs> we're Always taking the optimistic view. Uh, well, I mean...
2: The, the, all, the, I, no, I, I don't mean it as far as they're going to get worse. I mean, like, all the heavy lifting of getting ready for opening day is over. The, pageant, so the
3: pageantry of opening day is yeah, over. Yeah.
0: Also joining us is Matthew Lamar. Uh, Matthew, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you doing?
3: Yes, of course. I'm doing good. I just watched the game to that happened today, uh, Sunday, on uh, DVR Rewind. This, I was able to fast-forward through some sections. Uh, in hindsight, I could have fast-forwarded through the entire first half of the game, but, you know, so be it. Um was still enjoyable for reasons that we'll get into later.
0: Yeah, it was enjoyable. How's how's that for a
3: segue?
0: (laughs) It was pretty enjoyable, too. And and the Royals had a successful weekend, I guess you could say, taking two out of three, including uh, their opening day win over the White Sox, following that up with another one on Saturday, but dropping the the finale on Sunday. So I guess, you know, it's only three games and we don't want to make too much because they've got 159 of them left. But Matthew, I guess you want to touch a little bit on what are your first early impressions on the Royals through three games at least?
3: Yeah. So the thing about the thing about baseball is that there's not a lot you can learn in, in any individual game. Right. I mean, the fact that random people can throw perfect games and then you never hear, hear of them again. You know, that kind of speaks to the fact. And over three games, it's not a lot better. Uh, you know, a lot can happen in three games. You know, I think. If, for instance, Mike Trout had any other three games uh, in the playoffs, he would perform a lot better. But the ones that he was playing against the Royals, he wasn't very good. And uh, it's good for the Royals. Um, But, you know, lots of things can happen in three games. and It's not a big, it's not nearly big enough subset or set of games that you can draw conclusions from with any accuracy. That being said... I think watching multiple games, you can start to get a little bit of the, the feeling of what, um, what kind of things are going to happen, uh, you know, cause it's moved from the realm of, uh, you th- theory to, Oh, these guys are actually playing. Um, and so I do think that there are a couple of, of things that you can maybe start to predict going forward for the Royals. Um, I'm going to have a piece about that this week, maybe, uh, Monday or Tuesday. Um, about a couple of things that, even though we've only watched three games, you can probably safely say um, this is going gonna, gonna to be like this, you know, for the rest of the year. Um, one of those things is, I think, the bullpen um, with the almost opening day meltdown and the you know runs that the bullpen has given up, um, you know, over the last three games. I think you can kind of kind of tell. Uh, that it's just not going to be a strength for the club like some might might uh, be hoping it was. Um, I think that's just because they've got a lot of veterans in there that just aren't don't have a lot of upside and just have a lot of downside, right? Like Boxberger, Diekman, even guys like uh, Tim Hill, you know, uh, Ian Kennedy. Um, all those guys, you know, aren't super young and don't have a lot of potential left. Like they are what they are, and that skill is just going uh, going down, which is just normal aging, of course. Uh, but that's just how, how it is. Um, and I don't think that the bullpen is going to get a lot better unless the Royals bring in some new arms like, uh, Richard Lovelady or Josh Stalmont in from the minors. Um, but one bright spot was Kyle Zimmer. Uh, so if you watch the game today, Kyle Zimmer made his debut. He got two strikeouts, including, uh, his first ever batter that he faced was a strikeout. Um, so I think Kyle Zimmer's a really fascinating pitcher to watch because he could be really good or he could not be, right? I mean, he's 27, he's had a long injury history, um, but he's certainly something, someone to watch. Even if the rest of the bullpen is maybe literally the thing that you don't want to watch when you turn on a Royals game. So, kind of kind of mixed, but generally not not a strength of the club, the bullpen.
0: Yeah, and I I think people thought you know oh. getting rid of just Justin Grimm, Blaine Boyer, and Brandon Maurer would you know make the bullpen a lot better, which it it would probably make it a little bit better, but it's still not going to be a very good bullpen. And I think you're right. I think we did see uh, see them get a little exposed, and it's also going to be a while until until we know who who we can rely on. And I think I think it's good that Ned Yost is at least being flexible about who's going to take what what bullpen role. He's not really sticking with a Clear-cut closer. He gave the uh, first crack at, uh, to Willie Peralta on uh, opening day. Then when went to Brad Boxberger when it was clear Peralta didn't really have it. Ian Kennedy got the, the save on Saturday. So it looks like they're going to kind of mix, mix and match depending on matchups and and uh, uh, who has a hot hand. But uh, yeah, it's probably going to be an issue going forward this year. Sean, uh, what were some opening weekend impressions that you had of the Royals uh, that? You know, it's early, it's just three games, but maybe that we we can watch as the season unfolds.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're going to be committed to running a lot, um, or, you know, at least the idea that they are going to run a lot. Um, I think, um, uh, was it Rodon uh, or rondone, He said uh, that, I can't remember who the batters were, but, you know, two batters got in his head while they were on base. Um, That kind of slowed him down and kind of messed with his approach a bit, and I think that's really what the Royals... Um, are going to try to make their strength, and we saw that a bit, obviously, with, uh, I think, Merrifield had a couple steals, um, and then Hamilton didn't steal from second, I think, or first, or st- the other day, Hamilton had, like, three opportunities to steal, and he didn't, Um, so, but I think, overall, they're going to, you know, keep up with that idea of, they're going to, you know, try to get on the base paths and, and mess with, um, mess with the pitchers, and I think that's, you know, something that we've seen early on um and to a point of that they also don't have a home run and not that you can control when you can hit home runs but um it's probably not a coincidence that they are the only team as of now well and it's a, well they are the only team uh can't change going forward they are the only team without a home run uh you know the angels hit the first one today cole calhoun so i think that's on brand very much is that not only do they not have any home runs but they're gonna you know try and run a lot so i think that was seen a lot too
0: Yeah, I feel like um, Friday or opening day and Thursday was kind of like the best case scenario of how using speed and defense can is going to win them ball games because you know they they had a couple steals by Whit Merrifield uh, second and third they had uh, Billy Hamilton didn't steal a base but he did tag up from first base on a fly ball and they were pretty aggressive on the bases I think Alex Gordon scored from second on a double which is pretty nice to see and they had some pretty good defense Whit Merrifield had a nice sliding catch. They had some. They didn't have. They only had five hits on opening day, but they were like really timely hits. Jorge Soler coming through in the in the clutch, and they had a really nice starting outing by um, Brad Keller. So that was kind of like the best case scenario of how they can win games with that um, formula. And I feel like on Sunday you saw how that formula like doesn't work. <laughs> you know when they got no hit for six innings. Uh, you know it's hard to steal bases when you don't get on base at all. Yeah. Uh, so that's you know there's going to be stretches where they they really struggle to get on base and struggle to do much offensively. And I think. I think people kind of understand that. I don't think anyone's under the illusion that just because they're fast, they're going to score a lot more runs. Uh, but it is a nice weapon to have. And I think not just even stolen bases, but like I said, you know, Hamilton tagging up from first, uh, Alex Gordon taking the extra base. I think you're going to see a lot of that from the Royals this year. And, uh, and you know, look, the White Sox were, were pretty terrible defensively this, this weekend. And I think the Royals could take advantage of that with, with, their, with their base running a little bit. So... I think there's you know a game here too that can that could um, that could steal from their opponents using that speed. Uh, but but we'll, I think we're also going to see times where they just can't use it because the team goes through extended slumps.
2: Yeah, and Matt, I wanted to I want to get your I thought on this. I'm going to the Royals. Give me the over under for the year on this. Um, the royals current batting line you don't have to worry about the batting line it's tonight mm-hmm. and this should include today's stats i think fangraphs um has everything up to date with today so far so the collective either hitting 219 296 3232 forget about that um do you think the team collective obp will be over or under 296 for the rest of the year i uh,
3: over probably i would think um Okay. But I think it's gonna be pretty close. That's yeah. that's what I would say. The, I mean,
2: they've yeah. got a ninety-two WRC plus. You think that's over under or I under. think that's kind of spot on. You take the under. You think I, a little under bit.
3: I well, I think they'll be lower than that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, You'll take so, me so I mean okay. yeah, I'll I'll take the under. Uh maybe not a huge amount, but I think high eighties is probably what we're looking at. Um I just man, I I think Chris Owens is really bad. I think Melonato's <laughs> no good. As a hitter, um, you know, I think <sighs> Schwindel and O'Hearn and Gordon are kind of big question marks, you know, maybe less less O'Hearn, but, and Duda, like this, and Billy Hamilton's not a good hitter. There's just like, there's a lot of not good hitters. I think. If you want a realistic best-case scenario, you can kind of really, um, come up with a scenario in which Whit Merrifield, uh, Alex Gordon, uh, Mondesi, Jorge Soler, and O'Hearn are all really good, but that everyone else in that lineup is just really terrible.
2: Yeah, and I'll give you an easy one. The bullpen ERA right now is 10.13. You take the over or under on that? For <laughs> you said I over?
3: It'll be, okay. I'll be slightly under. I think okay. maybe 9.5. Okay. I figured so.
0: When, when you said two hundred ninety eight on base percentage, I thought, Well that's a that seems absurdly low to me, but then I looked up I guess last year there were <laughs> there were the Royals only had a three oh five on base percentage and there were actually four teams in baseball with a sub three hundred on base percentage, so I guess uh yeah. For all them for all the talk about you know teams being in analytics now, that's that's still pretty uh pretty bad <laughs> these days. Yeah,
2: like, and they and <laughs> it's funny. They've lost Salvador Perez and that might actually hurt their on base percentage. <laughs>
0: Well, we'll see what Martin Maldonado can do this year. Um, let us uh, I want to go back to opening day a little bit, just because I think the story of that day is Brad Keller. Uh, he gave the Royals seven shutout innings, allowed just two hits, struck out five, walked one. And he's a guy that, I mean, just a year ago was like maybe that he would make the opening day roster, was a Rule 5 pick up from double-A ball. And now he's starting on opening day for the Royals. And I thought maybe the moment might be too big for him, but he rose to the occasion. Um, Ned Yost said that, uh, the club views him as a legit number one for years to come. Uh, that seems like a stretch at this point, but you know, as he continues to improve his strikeout rate, Sean, do we, should we start raising our expectations for Brad Keller? And what point do we say, yeah, he might be a little bit more than just a number four starter?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you could call him. Uh, so I view it, my criteria, um, that I came up with a bit ago was basically, um your if you're a one two three four or five uh basically it's the inverse your war is the inverse of the number so if you're a number five starter you have a you know a, a, a season war of one if you're number four you have a two three is a three two is a four one is a five um so basically just inverse it um so effectively i mean so if you think keller could be a three you think he could put up three wins and i mean he had two and a half, two point six 2.6 last year um and you know 140 innings so i mean you could see him get to three three and a half on you know a really you know good year if he kept keeps everything up so yeah i mean i think a number three i mean a number one is too much uh you know unless his 3.0 era was kind of um you know foretelling what he will be but it's kind of tough when you really don't strike guys out to have that low of an era even if you got a good defense at a big park behind you because there's just uh, you know he has had a 6.16 K/9 last year, and his one start this year he's at 6.43, so he's still you know below league average. Um, the walks being lower, and of course it was one start, but the walks being lower was a good sign. Um, but you know he he's also playing the White Sox, so there's a little of that where we'll have to just keep seeing. But no, I mean a, a three is is definitely possible, and you could even argue he's there now.
0: Yeah, and I think that'd be pretty huge for the Royals considering their track record on developing starting pitching. And, you know, how badly they need starting pitching in this organization if Keller ended up kind of really exceeding expectations. And and being just a solid, you know, major league pitcher, a three-win pitcher, I think would be pretty big. To get anything more than that would be outstanding. So, yeah, i will definitely been watching, uh, you know, keep an eye on him and see see if he can kind of continue to progress. And people forget how young he is, too. I mean, he's still got room to improve uh, as a pitcher, and, and uh, maybe we'll see that maturation happen this year. Well, one guy that is not young enough to improve is Lucas Duda. And uh, I don't, you know, we should probably shouldn't take, make too much of it because you know it's like the last guy on the bench. He made his first start on Sunday, but um, Matthew, you wrote a piece this week about um, the Lucas Duda signing, and you know, last time we spoke on this podcast, in fact, we, we were kind of puzzled, you know, if Duda if Duda would even make the team, and why did they sign him to a minor league It turns out he made the team, and they released Brian Goodwin instead, um, and that seemed to get a lot of Royals fans upset. So can you, can you give us the summary of why you were you know why you think fans are so upset about the Duda deal and and what what's your kind of conclusion on why the Royals brought him in
3: yeah so I think you have to think a little bit more um creatively than just thing bad right like dude like Duda will be bad therefore the deal is bad you know um so here's why I think and why I am most um Concern about this is not necessarily due to himself, right? Like we've seen this play out last year. Uh, so they signed Duda. He was around for half a year. You know, he had he played some. They traded him for nothing. Like that's the most likely course of action here. And the thing is with players and in opening day lineups, just in general, um, is I think there's a little bit too much emphasis on opening day lineups. You know, people get injured, right? Um, and people get changed on the rosters. The roster changes all the time during the year. So I don't think like, oh, he made the opening day roster. This means, you know, clearly that 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 means that Schwindel and O'Hearn's time is, you know, numbered. Um, so I don't really think that's the issue either. I the issue is is a little bit more uh, more subtle, which is that. Duda is the result of a thought process that the Royals have about veterans that is detrimental to rebuilding teams. So if you think back to the last time the Royals were in like major rebuild mode, which you know 07 through 2012, really, they did a lot of this kind of stuff. Where on an individual level, you know, maybe Duda didn't block, or the the players that they were getting didn't block anybody, Um, you know, but it still just wasn't useful to anyone, right? Like, so they got Mike Jacobs instead of Keela Kai-Hue. I hope I pronounced this right. I'm sorry, Keila, if you're listening. and I <laughs> didn't pronounce your name right. But, you know, who knows? Like, maybe if the Royals hadn't got Mike Jacobs, he would have been better, you know? I think player development isn't a linear thing, and people only have a certain amount of, of you know, times and opportunities and by choosing consistently these veterans who just don't help in any of the traditional ways of the rebuild right then um, these veterans just don't do anything and are just a waste of resources and could in some ways um, make it possible that you miss out on a Whit Merrifield type of player So I mentioned this in the piece, but if you think back to it, in 2016, Omar Infante was really terrible. And the Royals basically had no choice but to choose Whit Merrifield. But if you think, you know, in terms of like an alternate reality type of thing, if Omar Infante was not just terrible, just but merely bad, the Royals have a really big history of just letting bad veterans play because of whatever reason. And... If they had done that, Whit Merrifield wouldn't exist. And Whit Merrifield is arguably the Royals' best player right now. So the point and the reason why people are frustrated is not necessarily that Duda is uh, going to kill the Royals or block any individual person. But it's that the Royals have this thought process that veterans are important even when they have no value Um and that's a big part of the reason why the Royals never got better than, like, a 70-some win team until Dayton Moore's draft picks came along. It's because they just constantly turned to these veterans who just didn't do anything. And the thing about a rebuild is you got to lean in on upside, um, and veterans just don't have any upside. And it's, it's just another long... They're another step in a long list of players that the Royals have, have gotten for no reason. Um, Chris Owings is also on this list, by the way. And if you've watched the game, the games this weekend, and have seen Chris Owings zero for twelve, um, and wonder why he's uh, making three million dollars and on the team instead of Nicky Lopez, that's it's the same thought process, right? And whether or not he blocks Nicky Lopez almost doesn't matter, um, in that the Royals are choosing. To play a guy who has no value for reasons that I'm not even sure I understand.
0: Yeah, and I, you, you know, you, I think a lot of people focused on the Duda signing as like that's at bats that could go to Ryan O'Hearn or Frank Schwindel. But I think what's interesting to me is that Duda DHing effectively moves Jorge Soler into right field on a more regular basis, which uh, led to the release of Brian Goodwin. And I, I'm probably the only Brian Goodwin supporter uh in Kansas City I think he had some potential. Uh but look even if you do think okay well he's 28 and he's he wasn't very good last year and and he's not worth keeping around, that's fine, but the Royals had a three-man race for right field going into the spring training with uh Goodwin, Brett Phillips and Jorge Bonifacio and now none of them are on the team and you're you're putting Soler in right field which also downgrade your defense. Uh so you can get Lucas Duda some at bats. And look, I get maybe they feel like Phillips or Bonifacio may not be quite ready yet, but what's gonna be the what's gonna be the case in May if you know, both of those guys or one of those guys is, is tearing it up and Duda is still on the team? Because I can imagine they don't really have a history of releasing veterans in the middle of the season unless they're just like overwhelmingly bad and if Duda is just okay, then they may have a little bit of a roster crunch. Sean, how do you how do you kind of see that right field and how do you see them handling Duda going forward? I mean, is, is there is there going to be a case where they don't have enough at bats for all these younger guys, and we do see Duda taking at bats from from the younger players we want to see, or is or is this maybe are we making too much of, about something?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, Duda started today at first base, um, and for what reason Schwindel couldn't have played there? I mean, I, I ultimately thought it could have just been call it you know Soler in right field. Duda or uh, Schwindel and O'Hearn flip between DH depending upon the handedness of the pitcher. Um, sw- yeah, switch between first base and DH, sorry, uh, depending on the handedness of the pitcher. So, I mean, I think that they're going to stick with, I, th- I mean, I, there's just no possible way to have Soler DH, which it seems like they want him to DH a bit, and then also play Duda, Schwindel, and O'Hearn um, all in the same lineup. And then Dozier um, as well. Uh, because if you've got Owens playing third, then you've also got to figure out where to put Dozier. Um, and so it's just too many bodies. And unfortunately, the two that I wouldn't say they're being prioritized, which Owens seem to be prioritized. Um, and Duda maybe isn't being prioritized, but, you know, with him making the roster so late, it seems like they really like him. Uh, unfortunately, you know, you've got three guys, Schwindel, Dozier and O'Hearn, who are at least younger and represent potential upside Um, that just are going to get cut off because of Owings and Duda. So, um, yeah, I mean, I thought the solution was just Soler and Wright and O'Hearn, Schwindel, Flip, and Dozier third, but that doesn't seem like that's going to be it.
0: I should point out that Chris Owings and Hunter Dozier are in the same (laughs) age season. Uh, They're both 27. Yeah, no, true. Yeah, so it's not like uh, Dozier is like super young and Owings is old. Uh, I, I, I like the idea of having a guy like Chris Owings on the roster, and I think there is a lot to be said about positional versatility and having depth. And look, the team, they had to sign Abraham Almonte off waivers last year and give him 150 at-bats because they didn't really have anyone else to put out there. So I get not wanting to be caught in that situation, but it seems like they are going out of their way to give him like everyday plate appearances. And look, he's not super old. He's 27. He's a former first-round pick. He has a little bit of a pedigree. But, and you know, I think Rustin Dodd had a really nice article a couple months ago about, you know, Owings has been hurt, and that's really hurt a lot of his career stats. That being said, his, his upside is pretty limited. Um, you know, he's a nice guy to plug in every once in a while, but I don't know if, I don't know if we need to really see more of Chris Owings in the lineup. I mean, he's, he's, he's kind of gotten his shot. Like, he's gotten a significant amount of at-bats in the major league level. Uh, over 2,000 at bla- uh, plate appearances now in his career, whereas Hunter Dozier, we still don't quite know. I mean, I think the the, the clock is ticking on him, but uh, we don't know what we have, and this is the kind of year where you find out what you have in guys like that. And so I would like to see some of those guys that haven't gotten a chance get a little more playing time. It's fine if they want to give Owings two or three starts a week, uh, but it seems like uh, every day seems a little excessive. But uh, again, we'll see how that how that plays out as the season goes on. Uh, I, I want to end a little bit. Uh, just, just going back to the bullpen that Matthew talked about. Um, Kyle Zimmer did make his major league debut on Sunday. Looked pretty impressive. Was hit ninety five on the gun. Struck out a batter. Uh, the main thing is he wasn't. He didn't get hurt <laughs> after the game. So that's that was impressive. Um, do you have Sean? I, you've been a Kyle Zimmer supporter for a while. Did you have any impressions from from his first uh, major league outing?
2: Um, no, not really. I mean, he, he struck out Polka on that curveball, which was pretty nice. Um, and he was 90, I mean, he, I'm looking at his velo um, board and call it 96, 95.8. Um, so, I mean, the velocity was there. The curveball looked fine. Um, yeah, I mean, part of it is he I mean, he went against Yolmer Sanchez, James McCann, and Dan Palka, um, and then Tim Anderson uh, singled off of him or sorry, uh, flew out. But anyways, uh, I mean, you know, it's not like he was facing murderer's road necessarily, uh, but his velocity was there. The curve ball, curve ball looked pretty good. Um, and so I can, I can live with that. He only threw a couple sliders. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's just seeing what he keeps going. I, I don't know if there's any takeaways other than he didn't break his shoulder or something.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, the curveball did look pretty good. I like this coming out. I think he had he his spots pretty well. Uh, and he, and the velocity, you know, it was, it was pretty good. It wasn't quite what it was in Arizona, but I don't think anyone's it. You know, I think the guns are a little yeah. hot in Arizona. The yeah, I'd say those dryer. guns are hot. Yeah, sure. so, but, so he was 95. is pretty good. Matthew, you know, I, we talked about how the bullpen is kind of fluid right now. What should be Kyle Zimmer's role right now? I mean, he, it seems like the Royals are trying to get him in a spot where he wasn't under a lot of pressure. Uh, but, you know, knowing how thin their bullpen arms are right now, you know, Brad Boxberger was a little shaky uh, on opening day, leaving a lot of pitches up uh, Ian Kennedy, you know, lit up two hits immediately when he got in the game, Willie Peralta struggled to find the strike zone. Are we going to see Kyle Zimmer get in some pretty tight save situations later on this year?
3: So I think that the Royals are going to be forced to, uh, turn to Zimmer more. Um, the thing about a bullpen is to have a good, good bullpen, you have to have good pitchers and not just okay pitchers. And I think even like the the best outcome for the the veterans they have right now, Peralta, Boxberger, Deacon, Deacon um, Hill, I guess, if you want to call him a veteran, Kennedy, um, is that those guys are probably going to be okay if it works out. And to have a good bullpen, you need better – you just need better players than that. And Zimmer, I think, is the only arm in that bullpen – as it currently stands, um, that has a potential to be that guy who can get you the strikeout and just dig you out of jams. I don't know if the Royals are going to turn to him as like the closer type of player. Um, I do wonder if like the the enlightened Ned now will use him more in terms of like a you know fireman type of type of role. I guess I guess we'll we'll see how committed Ned is to that kind of bullpen uh, creativity. You know, We'll see there. Um, But, I mean, if you look at the list of the bullpen guys, Zimmer's the only guy who you think, hey, this guy could be someone, right? Other than people who are in the minor leagues. Um, So I think it's possible that Zimmer does end up in the type of closer role and the Royals bring in people like Josh Stamount and Richard Lovelady up in the middle of the year. Um, But I I think the Royals are going to be forced to, to turn to Zimmer because otherwise, what else? You just have bullpen apocalypse, which is, I guess, not that different than most Royal seasons that we've watched in recent memory.
0: Yeah, I feel like there is probably going to be a lot of roster churn when it comes to that bullpen. Um, and I guess so far they've been Ben, but don't break, kind of like the Chiefs' defense. But um, we're probably going to be seeing, we're, we're going to see some epic blow blowups at some point this year. I guess it's just a matter of when. Uh, but yeah, I, I would expect to see guys like Richard Lovelady and Josh Stalmon get a chance at some point. And hopefully, we'll see Kyle Zimmer, uh, can, you know, stay healthy and continue to get uh, like a bigger and bigger role in that bullpen uh, because there is only so much I think ceiling with. Uh, guys like Willie to Ian Kennedy, who Sean correctly pointed out on Twitter as the second-highest-paid reliever in baseball, which doesn't necessarily mean he's the second-best reliever in baseball. But, uh, uh, yeah, I definitely like to see some of those younger arms out there. So we'll we'll uh, keep tabs on the Royals throughout the week. I hope, you know, if they win two out of three every series, I think they'll be in pretty good shape for the postseason. So I'm not saying, you know, get, get your playoff tickets ready, but uh, if you want to get a place in line for the Plaza Parade, uh, you know, I I wouldn't fault you for that. So uh, we'll definitely be back next week to tell you more about uh, the Royals' first road trip of the year. They'll head to Detroit uh, later in the week for the Detroit home opener. But until then, Sean, do you want to send us out?
2: Well, can we talk about uh, – we didn't talk about it, but come on. That's the stupidest thing, how the Royals always play games here in Kansas City, and then they got to go to Detroit. It just let me get some Texas. Let me, let's see the Royals start some games off in Texas or L.A. or – I don't know Australia, something like that. That would really be great.
0: <laughs> Do the Tigers not play in I, Australia anymore?
2: Yeah, uh, 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 So uh, Alex Liddy will still be down there. I think he's Australian. Uh, he played there and he was royal. So um, okay, I, I I have retired this this catchphrase now. So <laughs> I, well, that
0: means you have to come up with a new one to replace it. You have to oh, you, you have to repeal um, you have to repeal the catchphrase, but also replace it.
2: Oh. Okay, well, so I'll never say it can't get worse. I'll start. That'll be it for this, one. and I'll I'll figure one out.
0: All right. Well, if yeah, if anyone has a catchphrase we can use to end oh, the, yeah. the podcast, hey. Oh, uh, yeah, we should probably give, if if you have a pod if you have a way to end the the, the podcast that uh that we can use that we pick, uh, yeah. we have actually have a free so uh, free was it I, was it a free serial license or license to. Either Uh, one. Yeah, Out of the Park uh, Baseball 2020, which uh, a couple of writers on our staff have played. Uh, Who was it that wrote a review of it? Um, Was it Michael Augustine? Yeah, Michael Augustine worked on the game, and he wrote a review uh, or at least simulated a season with the Royals. They finished 81-81, so maybe the Royals are a little bit better than we thought. Uh, But, yeah, if you come up with a catchphrase that we can use at the end of our podcast, and we use it and we pick it, uh, we will give you a free license to use uh, out of the park baseball 2020 and you can use. Uh, so you got to listen to the podcast, but um, also come up with a clever phrase for us and we can give that away. So, yeah. So tweet, you're off the hook. Sean. At me.
2: Yes. Tweet it at me. Um, I've got it. I've got it ready to strike. I've got the cereal ready to go whenever. So yeah. tweet it at me. And Sean's been if,
0: looking for a replacement to that catchphrase anyway. Yeah.
2: So. <laughs> if we use it, done deal. Nice. Right. It's nice. incentive.
0: So I guess we can't really end the pod, the podcast. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So goodbye. Hey!